Hi everyone, Anastasia here. As you know, I'm publishing new story episodes every other week during the summer. And in the off weeks, I'm introducing people and organizations working to preserve World War II memories. And for this week of 4th of July, I'm bringing to you a project that is monumental. I'm sharing a conversation with Don Milne, founder of Stories Behind the Stars, a volunteer organization seeking to tell the stories of all 421,000 U.S. servicemen and women killed during World War II. Yes, you heard me right. They're researching and writing stories for each of the 421,000 killed during World War II. I love this project, and I think it's vitally important, which is not surprising since I spend a good 40 hours per Left Behind episode to research and tell servicemen and women stories. And I wanted to let you know about this project in case you'd like to get involved in keeping these memories alive on a much smaller and non-life-consuming scale than me. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Don Milne. Hi, Don. Welcome to Left Behind. We're so glad to have you here today. If you could go ahead and introduce yourself and what you do, that would be fantastic. My name is Don Mill, and I am the founder and the director of the nonprofit initiative Stories Behind the Stars. Our mission is to find and train our volunteers to research and write stories about the 421,000 Americans who died in World War II. We're saving them to a common database. And then people can use a smartphone app to go to any graveside or memorial and read those stories there. How did you begin this project? Well, we didn't have anything as ambitious as to getting all 421,000 stories done. It started off basically just as a personal project that I was going to do my lunch break at work because I've always had an interest in history. And back in December of 2016, which would have been the 75th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, there was a lot of news stories about the survivors of Pearl Harbor, and they're like in their early 90s, and you know they're such great heroes. I never want to take anything away from our greatest generation World War II veterans, but they are always the first ones to say, well, the real heroes are the ones that didn't make it home. So I thought, whoever tells their story, because there wasn't the internet back then, and most of them died when they were between 18 and 24, so they didn't even get a chance to get their story in front of people. And yet we have Memorial Day. We're supposed to remember people. So I just decided I'm going to make a project for a five-year period from Pearl Harbor until the 80th anniversary of the war, which would have been in 2020. I'm just going to one story a day. I'm going to take someone who would have, if they would have lived long enough, that would have been their 100th birthday on that day. I'm going to write their story and just do that one every day. So I ended up with like 1,300 stories by the time that project was done. And I was just sharing it on Facebook, and a few other people were noticing it. And I ended up, within a few months, there was like three to 6,000 people every day were reading those stories that were just on a blog spot. And a couple of years into it, I had people contacting me. So we enjoy reading these stories, but we kind of like to write them too. So I ended up inviting a few people, ended up with about 20 at the end, that were writing one of these stories one a day. And so I was only writing like one each month towards the end because I had so many people wanting to take a turn at writing a story. And with about a year to go to finish up our project, one of the volunteers said, 
it's a shame we're going to be wrapping up in a year. And they said, well, if we were to keep it going, it'd take us like 1,100 years to get through each story one a day. And he said, well, why do we just have to do one a day? So we, we kind of did the math and said, well, if we had enough volunteers, we could actually do this in a short period of time. So in 2020, we actually did a pilot with the state of Utah because it was a smaller state as far as how many people died during the war. And we said, can we get enough volunteers to do all of the stories of those from Utah that died in the war, which is about 2,100. And sure enough, I got like 100 people that said, yeah, we'll help you write stories. And within six months, we did every single person who served and died during the war from the state of Utah. There can always be a few that we had over time that didn't make that list because there's different ways to define what state someone's from. But that had never been done before. And so that just got the ball rolling. And since then, we've continued on and we did a project to do all of the fallen from D-Day. And then we did all of the fallen from Pearl Harbor. And right now, the biggest project we've worked on is all of the World War II fallen that are buried in Arlington National Cemetery. I love this project. And it's such an extensive amount of work. Even when you said earlier, oh, we weren't going to start out with all 421,000 I was just going to do 1300 That's just a staggering amount in and of itself. I remember reading about this project. I guess was it first public back in 2020? And I, I saw a news article about it. And I never forgot about this project from then on because I think it's such an important project. You mentioned how many of them were 18 to 25. And that's one of my big things too is they never came home. Many of them weren't married. They didn't have children. And so there's no one to carry on their memory and their legacy after a certain point. Because what I worry about is like, okay, you maybe you remember that your uncle served and died in the war and maybe your great uncle, but how many generations are we going to forget about them and their sacrifices? And they sacrificed all of their life ahead of them. And so I just commend this project. And I think it's so important for people to get involved. How many volunteers do you have working on this right now? Well, We've had close to 1,000 people volunteer from all 50 states, about a dozen other countries, and about half of those 1,000. They come in and they, they have that great uncle or that grandfather or someone that they personally know, which is a great person to write the story because they might have a shoebox with mementos and more details on what to include in the story. So that's about half of the volunteers have been someone with a personal connection. But the other half, they're just volunteering because they see the the importance, even if you're not related to someone, to have that person's story remembered. It's not a high percent, but there were quite a few people that died in the war that they were a single child. And no one, he has no descendants, or he doesn't have any brothers or sisters that would have had descendants. So that person probably isn't going to be remembered unless a group like ours does that. And yeah. even if you're not related, it just so happens that people will sometimes Google their name or, or someone that they knew in the war that they're related to, but that they don't have any information about it because it's been, in some cases, four generations now since that person died. And they'll often come across the stories that our volunteers have written, and they'll contact them and say, hey, saw that you wrote this story. So grateful that you put that information down because I was unaware of some of the details you found. So it does bring some of the people that are descendants of the project in communication with some of our volunteers just from the nature of 
how it's developing. I love hearing that your volunteers get contacted by family members. I don't think there's many better things than that. You mentioned that you have these special projects or focuses. So the state of Utah, Arlington, D-Day, and Pearl Harbor. Do you have special projects or focuses coming up that you can tell us about? Yeah, there's nothing going to be as big as those because unfortunately most people, from what they learn in school or what they get from the media throughout the year, they're going to, all the things they know about World War II was, well, there was Pearl Harbor and then there was D-Day and then we dropped the bomb. They're only going to know those few things. So most people don't know a lot of the details. So we focused on those major events because it has helped us get attention kind of as a big tentpole so that we can get more people to volunteer after they see the attention come in. But there are some things, especially if you have some interest in World War II history that we're working on. For instance, August 1st of 1943 was a famous raid called Operation Tidal Wave, where the Americans sent in about 150 B-24 bombers from North Africa to bomb these oil fields in Romania, which was the main source for the German uh, war machine. They didn't have oil hardly anywhere else. And unfortunately, for various reasons, it was a big failure, and we lost about a third of the planes. And we oh lost gosh. 310 men killed or missing. And so we're focusing on those 310 names to see if we can get all those done by the 80th anniversary, which is coming up here on August 1st. So that's a project that we think we'll be doing soon. We have probably only a couple hundred names left to do in Arlington. So by the time this is on your podcast, I'm pretty sure that all the Arlington names will have been assigned out. So that's one project that's coming up. Another one that we think will help us get greater attention is a lot of people that are interested in World War II will eventually come across the miniseries Band of Brothers or one called The Pacific. Both of them were produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. They're actually produced a third miniseries called The Masters of the Air. It's already been filmed. I think it's already been edited. I think we're just waiting for them to make an announced release date. It's going to be on Apple TV. And it should come out sometime later this year. The focus of that miniseries is the 8th Air Force and the bombers that that flew missions over Germany. More specifically, it's talking about the 100th Bombardment Group. Sometimes it goes by the nickname the Bloody Hundreds. And during the time it was in service, about 800 men died from the 100th Bombardment Group. So one of the projects we're going to be working on is let's get all the names done from all the people that were the real people who were the heroes that that died. I'm sure they're going to be profiling some of them in this miniseries, but sometimes you have to fictionalize some of the things that happened. But we'll have stories about every single one of the people that were from the actual unit that's going to be part of that miniseries. And that's going to get millions of viewers, so we hope that we'll get some of the attention of people that want to go the extra mile and start remembering some of the flyers that died in the war. There are about 60,000 people from the... uh, it was called the Air Corps back then, not the Air Force, that died during the war. And surprisingly, half of those 60,000 didn't die in combat. It was kind of a scary thing to get in an airplane back in the 1940s. Lots of accidents. About yeah. Half of the men we lost in the war were from accidents. So there's that project. And another one that we're working on is there's a little-known disaster that cost us about the same number of men who died on the USS Arizona, which everybody knows about. 
but most people have never heard of the HMT Rona. That's His Majesty's Transport. It was a British ship that was sunk in the Mediterranean with more than a thousand American servicemen who died oh um, either from the ship being attacked or drowning in the waters there that didn't make it. And most people haven't heard about it because it happened to be the first ship that was ever sunk, ever sunk by an early version of a cruise missile that the Germans happened to invent. And the Allies didn't want to give the Germans any idea how successful that technology was so they wouldn't keep trying it because it's easy to get a missile closer when you can guide it rather than a bomb that you just drop and have no way to, to have it yeah. guided in like, like a cruise missile is. So they kept it silent, and I think they were also embarrassed that there'd be so many people that had died during such an attack. And so some of the family was 20 or 30 years later that they finally realized, oh, our loved one died on that transport. So that 80th anniversary is coming up this upcoming Thanksgiving weekend. So we're hoping to get as many of those stories done. So I would hope that many people when they hear about it from your podcast would say, I'd like to help get those stories done. And then one last one, that another one that more people are familiar with than not is the uh, cruiser that delivered the uh, atomic bomb to Tinian was the USSS Indianapolis. And that cruiser was, was sunk by a Japanese submarine a few days later, and it, it wasn't noticed for a few days. So even though a lot of people survived the sinking because they were in the water for three or four days, they didn't survive past that. So there's, I think, were another 800 or so people that died from that tragedy. And so we're working with the USS Indianapolis organization that's remembering the fallen to try to get all those stories done. These are fantastic. When you said about the planes in World War II, so I had the opportunity about a year ago to fly on a B-17 and it is literally a tin can with ribs on the inside. Um, <laughs> they said that the waste gunners, the waste is what basically what we call the fuselage today. So the waste gunners, yeah. they didn't have seats. They sat on the floor on their parachutes in the radio operator's cabin area. And then uh -huh. the tail gunner had to crawl all the way back through the landing gear to get to the tail. I won't even get started on the turret gunner in the bottom. It's so oh, yeah. small. I would be so claustrophobic in it. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned Band of Brothers. Band of Brothers is my Desert Island movie. And it's not even uh -huh. a movie. It's a mini series, But... I love Band right. Brothers. <laughs> have you done work on Easy Company or is it the 101st Airborne or do you have plans to? Well, if they died on D-Day on June 6, 1944, then they would have been part of our D-Day project. Got it. Yeah. So those stories have been done. You know, of all of the people that served in the war, the Easy Company, I think it's the 516th Regiment, um, they probably get more coverage than anyone else, which is great because it helps get people interested. So, I would think that their stories are well-documented. Some point. of the volunteers may have focused on that and done some stories there. There's actually a whole wiki page for people from Band of Brothers that people have set up. Right. Eventually, we'll get people that will focus on that. We have a lot of our volunteers. They don't join these big temple projects. They create a project of their own. We have people that will say an American submarine in World War II had maybe 60, 80 people on it. I can do that many people in a year. 
And so they'll just take one submarine, they'll do the stories of everyone from that submarine. We have people that their grandfather served in a particular fighter squadron, and there were like 40 people that died during the war from that particular unit. And so they'll write the stories about everyone who served with their grandfather as a way to honor their grandfather because they remember their grandfather talking about the friends that didn't make it home. And now their grandfather's gone too. So they're thinking, well, we remember our grandfather, but who remembers the people that didn't make it now that our grandfather's gone? So it's, it's a way to bring the stories to future generations and especially those that are on the younger side that have a phone attached at the end of their arm. They usually don't have much of a reason to go to a cemetery, but if a school group or community group or family group were to go to Graveside and they figured out, oh, if there's someone in this cemetery that died during World War II, you can read their story. And that's what we're hoping will be the impetus for many people to volunteer, not because the story you're writing is going to be on some obscure website that no one even hears about. It'll be accessible at every single cemetery anywhere in the world where someone from World War II is buried. Does that app exist? It does, and we think it'll be improved and over time. The version that we're using right now is created by our partner, Find a Grave, which is an ancestry company. They help support us by providing free research access to our volunteers. But you, the Find a Grave app, a lot of people use it just for their own genealogy or family history purposes to find their own ancestors because you can go to a cemetery and type in a name and find where that person is buried. It's geocoded, so you can walk out to where they are in a lot of cases. So that app is already up there. And Ancestry also is another company called Fold3, which is a military remembrance site. And that's where we're saving all of our stories. So we are able to link the Fold3 story to Find a Grave. So people use the Find a Grave app, they'll go to the cemetery, they'll type in the name of the person they're looking for and scroll down to Find a Grave page and find the link to Fold3. And then the story we wrote will pull up. So that's what's available now, and it's not what we hope will be there eventually, but it works for now. We've done 31,000 stories so far, and that's not even 10%, but it works for any of those. But what we think will happen eventually, and it might take a dedicated program or someone that knows how to do smartphone apps, but it should be fairly straightforward. You'll take the smartphone. It'll have the app that uses the camera. So the camera will scan the name of the person off of the gravestone, see the dates of when they were born and when they died. It'll then have the geocode location for where they're at, and then it'll look on the database, okay, geocode, name, is that story there, and it'll pull it up on the phone. So it'll be simple of just point and read, basically. It's not there yet, but all the technology is available to have that happen. The chicken and the egg thing, though. Why would you build an app if there aren't any stories? Because right now, 90% 90% of the names you would try to use wouldn't work because they haven't been done yet. Yeah. But we're hoping to get this project done by the 80th anniversary of the end of World War II, which is coming up in a couple of years. If that does happen, I'm sure it'll attract someone that has the skills to do the smartphone app, and it'll make total sense to do that because it'd be like the app you'd always want to have if you go to Arlington National Cemetery or if you go to, like, Normandy, and visit the American Normandy Cemetery there with 12,000 people buried, you'd want to have that app because you would be able to read the story about any single one of those people in that whole cemetery just by having that one app. So it's going to happen. 
it's just a question of a little bit of time and patience. Yeah. So you said you've completed 31,000 of these stories? Is that what Yeah, I mean? we're, we're on pace right now, about a thousand stories being done every three weeks. Wow. What we're really hoping to do is if we could get like 10 times as many people volunteering to help out and Basically, we're asking them to take two or three hours, which is all it takes to research and write a story. If you did one a week, like 50 a year, we only need basically like 3,000 people doing this, and we could be done in the next 30 months or so. So it's super realistic to do that. We just got to get the word out. and Because once people start doing it, it's very addictive for a lot of people to start yeah. off with the name of someone you've never heard of, and three hours later, you've got a really succinct and interesting and poignant sometimes story of someone who, as you mentioned before, they didn't get to live their lives. And now there's a way for us to do more than just generically say it's Memorial Day, we're remembering them, or it's Veterans Day, we're remembering them. But what are you remembering? Well, now there is something to remember because each one of them has a story. Yes, I love that. So how can Left Behind listeners get involved with this project? How can they volunteer for stories behind the stars? Pretty easy. They just have to visit the storiesbehindthestars.org and click the volunteer button. And then we just ask for your contact information. And then we will send you a link with some more details. And then if you want to learn more, we set up a free training course so you can learn how to write the stories. And we've got an easy way for you to start off with a story of someone from a bomb crew that didn't make it. And we always share with you someone that was from the same crew. The story's already written, so you have kind of a sample of what it should look like with the details from the same mission. And then once you've done that first story, it's kind of what direction you want to go. Do you want to help on one of our projects? Do you have family members? You decide how you want to do it. So volunteers research this person's life on Ancestry.com and other family history websites and then write the stories, do people need to have past research experience? If someone out there is like, well, I've never done family history research. We have a lot of people that are beginners. We have a Facebook page called StarCore, which stands for Storytellers and Researchers. We have about 800 people that are part of that. And so if you have a specific question, you can just go on that Facebook page and ask it, and you'll probably find someone that has a background to help you get the answers, so... A lot of people don't have a military background or writing background, but we can help out. How long does a typical memorial take to research and write? Two or three hours. Some people take more because they want to take look into it more, but two or three hours is usually enough time. So, Don, why does this matter? Why is it important to tell these stories? Well, quickly losing the living veterans of the greatest generation, which probably next year there will be under 100,000 left. And soon all of them are going to be at least 100 years old. And once you get past 100, you don't have too much time left to to be around here. So we think it's important that once they're gone, that there still be a way to remember everyone. And this is just one way to remember those that were the heroes that they always say are the ones we need to remember is by having their stories told. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell us? Well, a lot of people may be listening to this, and personally, they may not be the person that would participate, but they probably know someone that would. So if they listen and say, boy, sounds like a great project, I wouldn't do it. Well, think of who would, and then share your podcast with them. 
Wonderful. Will you tell us again where we can find Stories Behind the Stars? You can find it at storiesbehindthestars.org. Dawn, thank you so much for taking time to be on Left Behind today. I wish you great luck in accomplishing this project. Thank you so much. Stories Behind the Stars is truly an important, worthwhile, and monumental project. And if you're interested in getting involved, you can find links to the Stories Behind the Stars website in the show description, as well as on the Left Behind Facebook page and website. Next week, I'm sharing the story of a nurse's harrowing final hours escape from Bataan. See you then. Have a wonderful 4th of July.